When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, welcome to a very special episode of the Spurs show. Over the many, many years of doing the show, we've we've we luckily to review and discuss many great books. And today we are discussing another great book uh, by a man who's been on the show many, many times before, Norman Giller. Uh, many of you long-time listeners will know about his work, the books he's written. But I have to say, and I've read God, quite a lot of his books, this book I think is probably the best book he's ever written. And the reason it is, it's just his memory of a fan uh, but obviously writing professional about Tottenham Hotspur, but what comes through about this book is his love as, as a supporter. It's My 70 Years of Spurs, A Long Walk Down White Hart Lane, forward by Steve Perman, MBE, published by Pitch Publishing. And it's Norman's memories of watching and writing about Spurs for 70 years. Norman, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. First of all, can we start off with my usual grace? Of course. Brown. Baker, Henry, Blanchfair, Norman, Mackay, Jones, White, Bobby Smith, Les Allen, Cliffy Jones, with Terry Medwin coming in as a sub. And um, that's the end of my grace, <laughs> the greatest double side. And then, of course, it was um, Jimmy Greaves came the following year to make it even better, if that was possible. And what a lucky boy I was to be around to see that that double team playing at its peak. What, what I love about this book, Norman, is it, it, it's, it's a must, must, must buy for anyone. And I know some profits also go to the Tottenham Tribute Trust, who do an incredible uh, job behind the scenes helping uh, players who've fallen on hard times. What I love about this book is you talk about your your first love, Tottenham following them. There's a chapter on Arthur Rowe. Jimmy Anderson, who's not talked enough about enough, I don't think, in the history of Tottenham Hotspur. Bill Nick, there's even a chapter on Terry Neal, uh, Birkenshaw Shiv. You go through all the Tottenham managers uh, that have been there since you've been supporting them. You then look at your dream teams uh, and some of your favourite players. But what I like about the book is it was your uncle Eddie Baldwin, Uncle Eddie, who was responsible for you becoming a Tottenham fan. Is that right? Yes. Um, I Another uncle of mine called Uncle Roy was a Charlton Athletic fanatic. And he tried to get me on board um, with the addicts, as they, as they were known. And he took me this particular Saturday to White Hart Lane, a uh, bigger pardon, to the Valley, which was um, used to regularly hold 60,000 crowd. This is when Charlton Athletic was at the top of their game. And um, I was at the Charlton Athletic end. Um, I was I was a 10-year-old boy wearing my, my brother's hand-me-down short trousers 
and uh, there'll be some veteran um, listeners who will remember the days when as kids we used to be handed over the heads mm. of the of the because <laughs> you couldn't see of the adults could you? exactly you would be thing. shifted down to the front, and as you went over the over the over the cloth caps, you'd, you'd smell the t- tobacco from the weights <laughs> and the woodbines or the brill cream brill creamed hair. And by the time you got down to the bottom, you you were a wreck. But but I I was very lucky to be placed behind top and goal, and right in front of me there's the great cruiserweight Ted Ditchburn, um, who looked a giant to me. I mean, I mean he, he weighed thirteen stone Ted, but um, I mean, in back in those days, if you were six foot tall, you you were a giant, and. Um, I clearly remember that uh, a Charlton Athletic player called Charlie Vaughan shot from about 18 yards, just just on the edge of the box. And uh, from my vantage point, I could see the ball was going to go in the top top right-hand corner. And um, as the ball was about to go into the net, so I thought, there's this um, Superman flies across his goal. Is it a bird? Is it a plane? No, it's Ted Ditchburn. And he, he didn't punch the ball away, as most goalkeepers would have done. He actually caught it in midair. And from that moment on, I became number one, a Ted Ditchburn fan. But more important, I became very much a Lily White fan. And it's been in my spirit and my soul ever since. Yeah, that's lovely. Uh, and you, you obviously, early in the book, uh, for, for those who haven't bought it yet, Lots of talk about the early team, the early push and run team of Ron Burgess, Len Duke. I mean, you mentioned uh, Ted Ditchburn then. You then, uh, what I love about it, it's about 15 years later from that moment, the, the Valley watching Ted Ditchburn, you are now on the Daily Express writing <coughs> about the team you, you loved. Is that right? Well, I was in a very privileged position of, um, in fact, it was even before the, the Daily Express, so I was on the Daily Herald and and the Stratford Express, and all the time, I was getting on friendly terms with um, <laughs> Sir, as he should have been, Bill Nicholson. And um, Bill and I, um, we had conversations over a period of about 40 years, and I used to sit at his feet listening to his tales of football. He's a great back and tour, Bill, and uh, he loved nothing better than to talk about the old games. And um, I became quite a, a walking record of the, the 40s and 50s. And it was mainly thanks to list, listening to the likes of Bill Nick and Alf Ramsey talking about that wonderful push and run side. And um, I've got vivid memories of, of watching them play. And um, they were a walkie talkie side. Um, they, 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 they would always talk to each other. And Bill Nicholson always insisted on his players talk to each other, you know, lift each other. When, when one, one of your teammates is down, motivate him. Don't, don't be dumb. And uh, so you look at the Tottenham players under the, the Bill Nicholson regime, they're always walkie-talkie players. Mm. And um, the, the, the team that Bill Nicholson played for, he, he was um, a, a galvanising right half in the days of wing halves. And... Um, but the, the main player in that team was um, their captain, Ronnie Burgess, who wore number six. And um, he used to cover every blade of grass, a, a, a Welshman, a former miner. And uh, he'd been through a hard war. And uh, he brought that, that spirit 
of determination to the pitch with him and uh, used to spread it to the team. It, it, was a, it was a privilege to watch that push and run team and uh, Ron Burgess was the heart of the side and Bill Nicholson in, in later years said to me that the number one player of all his time with Tottenham was Ron Burgess because of the spirit that he gave that side. And uh, Bill always wanted a motivator in his team. And the, with um, Tottenham, he had the, um, the brain of Danny Blanchard and then the heart of Dave Mackay. And they were the sort of players that Bill Nicholson built his team around. You've got a lovely moment in the book talking about Blanche Flower. Uh, you go into really good detail, stuff I hadn't had not heard before. The, the whole spat between Blanche Flower, the then manager Jimmy Anderson, the directors that was going on, uh, where Blanche Flower in a game basically just <laughs> did what he thought was right, fell out with Anderson. I mean, you know, many players in this era now just would have gone, that's it, left the club. Thank God. Blanche Flower remained, and when Bill Nick came in, he immediately pointed him chairman. Just tell us that story briefly about the, the spat between him and Jimmy Anderson at the time. Well, it was a, an FA Cup semi-final, and um, Spurs were losing, and Danny took it upon himself to send Morris Norman from centre-half up to lead the attack. And uh, Jimmy Anderson felt that he'd been um, humbled in front of his directors because it wasn't his decision. And uh, Danny had just come off the pitch after they'd lost. And uh, Jimmy Anderson went for him and, and said, you, you've belittled me in front of the directors. And uh, they, they were enemies from that moment on. And uh, a few, few weeks later, Danny was left out of the team by Jimmy Anderson. And uh, it appeared in the evening news where I was a copy boy, that Danny had been left out because he was injured. And Danny was writing a column for the evening news at that time, and he telephoned to make a correction. And uh, Victor Elton, the um, football reporter, said to him, uh, you know, how are you feeling? Are you, are you, are you, are you better? Is you, how is the injury? And Danny said, what injury? He said, well, we're running the back page lead that you have been left out of the team because of an injury. He said, there's nothing wrong with me. I've just been left out because um, Jimmy Anderson prefers somebody else. And uh, so Vic Routon rewrote that story and it led the back page. Um, Blanche dropped. And and that um, revived the argument between uh, Danny and Anderson as to who's running this club, you or me. Uh, Jimmy Anderson, let, let, let's give him credit. He spent over 30 years at the club and he was the man at Gravesend and Northwick who brought along the the, the team that was uh, being prepared to go to White Hart Lane to play, to play first team football and he was bringing through the likes, this is, we're talking about 1930s now, he's bringing through the likes of Ronnie Burgess Bill Nicholson and um, Harry Clark and uh, so let's give Jimmy Anderson credit for that period of his career. But as a manager, when he took over from Arthur Rowe, who had to retire through ill health, I mean, he was a disaster. But people should judge Jimmy on, the, on his couple of years as manager, whereas he, he gave 
a lifetime service to the club. And I'd like to give Jimmy the credit that he deserves. But as a manager, he was a disaster. And Danny Blanchard <laughs> was never slow in saying it publicly that um, you, you don't let the seamen go to on the bridge and, and sail the ship. And uh, he was always putting uh, Jimmy Anderson down, which is it was sad. But uh, luckily there was a young man coaching the team that just retired from playing called Bill Nicholson. And when he took over uh, famously in October 1958, anybody I was in the... Unluckily, I wasn't there, but... Um, that they won that match 10-4, which, which was a hell of an introduction to management. And uh, Tommy Harmer, I remember, he, 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 he um, scored a goal and, and made eight of the other goals. Let's talk about Bill uh, in more detail after this very short break. And we're back for the break. There's obviously... You mentioned uh, earlier uh, in this show about your relationship with Bill. There's a lovely story in your book uh, whereby I think it was during, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was during, and you mentioned when you did Top 10 Tottenham with us, uh, everyone knows the, 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 the relationship you had when Martin Chivers was a player, how difficult it was. And there was an extraordinary story when you went to Bill Nick's house and Darkie's wife said, oh, he's in the back in his allotment. And there he is in a Spurs tracksuit, uh, you know, tending to his marrows, did you, whatever it was. Did you remember that moment? Well, I, I was there actually chasing the Graham Sooness story. That oh, was the Sooness story. That yeah. Sooness was, was so homesick, yeah. Yeah, wasn't but, he, and wanted to well, leave. Well, Graham had gone home to Scotland. And um, I, I, I went to Bill's house at Creighton Avenue, which is just down the road from White Hart Lane, <clears throat> and you can hear the roar of the crowd from, from, from their kitchen window, which is where Darkie, it's his wife, she was called Darkie because uh, she, she with dark hair and the twin sister had fair hair. So it was n- nothing to do with Black Lives Matter. So she, she was called Darkie simply because of her hair colour. And uh, Bill, Bill Nick was in, the allot- in his allotment, which was unbelievable, you know, to find this... You know, first division manager digging away in his allotment, and uh, he he hated the fact that I discovered him. He said, "If you ever mention a word of this, he said, I'm going to hang you from the nearest lamppost." I think I think he meant goalpost. He said lamppost. And um, anyway, I I kept shum about it, but uh, I I said to him about Graham Sooness. You know, had gone home to Scotland. And he said, oh, Graham was a headstrong boy. He said, uh, I'll have a word with him and um, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure that he understands that he's an employee of Spurs and he can't just run off when he likes. I thought that was the end of the story and forgot about it. That over the following weeks, it became front page news because Graham's um, MP in Edinburgh said, who do, who does Tottenham Hotspur think they are? Do they think this is still Charles Dickens' times? There's this Fagin of a manager using this this boy Graham Sooners, this poor boy, and, tr- and treating him like a slave. He said, surely um, that he's not going to be punished for being homesick because Spurs, Spurs have find him at weeks' wages. 
Right. And uh, so Bill Nicholson, the, the friendliest, nicest, most honest man who ever crossed my path, he was being painted as the, the fake in the football. <laughs> Bill painted it. <laughs> oh, funny. I want to move uh, forward now uh, to another extraordinary story, uh, and I just love it, the book. The, the revelation that it was a man you wrote for when you started writing for TV, the revelation that it was, in fact, Eric Morecambe of Morecambe & Wise fame who tipped you off that Tottenham were going to sign Aussie Ardealers and Ricky Veer. What a, I, this is a sentence I thought I'd never utter in my life. Eric Morecambe tipped you off that the Argies were coming to White Hart Lane. Tell us that story, because that's just bizarre. Eric and I were writing partners, and we used to have um, a column in the Express called Sport Smile. And um, Eric used to throw ideas across me. He said, how about this? Um, these two Argies coming coming to play in our football? I thought, they're about right about them. I said, what are you talking about? What Argies? And I, and I thought, he's built up one of his punchline jokes. He said, he said he said, well, uh, Harry Haslam, who was, used to be Luke manager, is now at Sheffield United, he's tipped me off that um, the, the two, two, two RGs are going to come over and play in England. I said, said you've been on the bloody hooch show, Eric. He said, no, I promise you. He said, Five, go and ask your contacts. So uh, I, I phoned Bill Nick, who was by then a scout at um, Spurs, I said, Bill, what's, what's this about two Argentinians coming over to play? He said, bloody hell. I said, how do you know that? He said, uh, <laughs> he said Keith is in uh, Buenos Aires at the moment, trying to sign them. And um, within, I, I immediately phoned the son, being a, a hungry freelance uh, journalist. And uh, Frank Nicolin, who was the sports editor of the son, said, uh, yeah, he said, uh, he said, you're too late. He said, it's just come over the wires. He said, you're signing... Osvaldo, Osvaldo Ardiles and Ricky Ricardo Villa. I said, what? He said, yeah. He said, yep. Yeah. He said, we've got a headline going up. Um, Argie Bargie over who gets the Argies. And, that, and, that, and uh, Frank Nicklin, who was a sun sporter, the legend, as Harry spoke in sun, sun headlines. And um, the reason that, it, that they, they said the, the Argie Bargie, Arsenal had been trying to sign the two of them. But, but Spurs got in first, thanks to being tipped off by um, Sheffield United's Harry Haslam. Yeah, it's amazing. So, um, and that's how, yeah. how, and that started the foreign invasion because uh, yes. until then there, 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 there were no foreigners playing. That's right. There was Tarantini came in to Birmingham, and then later on there was obviously Muren and Tyson went to Ipswich. It all started with the PFA very reluctantly lifting the ban on overseas players because they thought that they just might dominate the game, how yeah. right they were. <laughs> yes, no, absolutely. Uh, I mean, again, there's so much I want to discuss with you uh, in the book. Um, the, the other chapter I loved, and I know there's loads about managers, but obviously one manager that is very dear to all Tottenham fans, and I think to this day we're gutted that it never worked out, it was never a success, despite him being a very successful manager at Chelsea, one, a very successful manager with England, was obviously Glenn Hoddle, who uh, to many people of a certain age was still the greatest player they ever saw in a Spurs shirt. Why don't you think it worked for him as, as a manager at Tottenham? What Do you think it was outside his control with things going on behind the scenes or what do you think it was to use a musical metaphor 
he was a fantastic soloist, could play his instrument beautifully, but give him the baton and he, and he could not conduct the orchestra, could never bring the orchestra together. And this was so at Tottenham. He, he was um, probably the most technically gifted footballer ever to put on a lily white shirt. Perhaps Gazza could um, be put forward as another candidate, but I personally would pick Glenn because he was more controlled than Gazza. But when it came to management, um, he had no idea how to handle people. Um, he, he used to think that everybody had his skill and he couldn't make allowances for, for the fact that they couldn't ma- match his accuracy. I mean, he famously fell out with um, with uh, Teddy Sheringham, a, a wonderfully gifted footballer who wanted to play his way. And um, Glenn, one of the great individualists, wanted to turn Teddy into a robot. And, te- and, te- and Teddy wouldn't have it, and he wouldn't follow tactical orders. And this is the problem that Glenn had, getting his ideas across, but always sounding like, like a headmaster rather than talking to them as a friendly coach. Mm. And uh, it, it, was, it was so sad because uh, I, I, lo- I loved and I still love Glenn but he, he just would not manage the material. It's, it's funny because, you know, then you talk, obviously, Harry Redknapp, Terry Venables, brilliant man managers, the right kind of managers to put their arm around uh, players. And one could argue with Redknapp, maybe not as much technical ability, but could certainly pick a team and galvanise the size. It's such a shame that maybe what you're saying there is Glenn at the time didn't have the man management skills good enough to to uh, deal with wealthy young players. You know, we're not going back to the 50s, 60s. This is Premier League era and people are earning very good money. And it, it's a shame that I think out of all the managers Tottenham have had, that's the one I think most Spurs fans have said. What a shame it didn't work out under Hoddle. Well, well Teddy Sheringham said that he used to talk down to players, right. which is a, a criminal thing to do. It's a cardinal sin. And... Um, even though we as fans loved and respected Glenn, he didn't have the same rapport with many of his players because they thought that his decisions as a team manager never, ever matched his ambitions. And it was particularly so with England when he had terrible rows with, among others, Paul Gascoigne. Right. He just didn't know how to get on the same wavelength as the players, which is an odd thing from one player to another. But yeah. uh, he he could he could never come down off the bridge. Yeah, it's interesting. In the, your, your final chapter of the book, uh, which will have, uh, I'm sure, was written to almost start many arguments in pubs before the games, <laughs> is what you call your dream teams and what you've done very cleverly because obviously it's so difficult over seventy years to name, I mean, although you have at the end here, you've done a few formations here. I'm just going to read these out if you don't mind. Give it a 3-1-3-3 pre-Premier League uh, greatest team. You've gone Jennings, Ramsey, England, Burgess, Mackay, Blanchflat, Hoddle, Ardiles, Jones, Gilzine, Greaves. A very clever way there, Norman, of crowbarring in as many players as you can. (laughs) (laughs) Your your 4-3-3, your Premier League Tottenham greatest team, Larissa Goal, Walker, Alderweireld, King, Vertonghen, 
Musa Dembele, Sheringham, Modric, Homin's son, Kane and Bale. And then finally, I mean, this, I don't know how you managed, this must have been agonising having to do. And then you finally put, for your 70 years of watching Spurs, uh, mixing up the eras, you've got Norman Giller's dream team are Jennings in goal, Walker, England, King and Bale, cleverly putting Bale in as a ripe, as a fullback, Hoddle, Modric, Mackay, Homin's son, Kane and Greaves. Not a bad side. And also going back, I didn't realise in the 100 club of Tottenham uh, players who scored 100 or more goals, you rightly say Homin's son is the only non-homegrown, uh, pl- only foreign player to be in the 100 goal list as well. Yeah, How difficult was it to do that final final 11? <laughs> Well, uh, I, I would say that uh, it aged me. And, and what, <laughs> it wasn't so difficult as picking the team. It was who to leave out. I mean, yeah. it bro- broke my heart to leave out. So, so, so many great players have given me so much pleasure. Mm. And what, what I'd like to do, if with your patience, yes. I'm, I'm going to read the last couple of paragraphs of the Please book. Please do. Absolutely. As I approach the final sentences of my 70-year trip down White Hart memory lane. Let me make a pertinent and important point. Economically, legally and logistically, Enoch owned Tottenham Hotspur, knock, stock and both barrels. For example, before putting my memories down on paper for publication, I had to confirm acceptance that all historic facts about Spurs are the intellectual property of the club. But let me make it clear that they are only temporary owners, holding the baton until the next handover. Regardless of the harebrained decision to go along with a short-lived idea of a breakaway European Super League, the heart and soul of Tottenham Hotspur will always permanently belong to its supporters to Bible-bashing John Ripshire, who went door-to-door collecting Tuppany Club subscriptions to keep Tottenham Hotspur alive in its infancy. Bobby Buckle and the Pioneer Boys, who used to carry the homemade goalposts to and from Tottenham Marshes. Every fan who stood on the shelf, cheered from the stands, travelled to support in all weathers, sang the McMurray's band a song in the push and run days, marched to the glory, glory, hallelujah choruses of the double season, went all trembly at Wembley with Chaz and Dave and Ozzy and Ricky, Harry Redknapp's blue and white army, Pochettino's disciples who followed him all the way to a Champions League final, the diehards who have supported Spurs with spirit and passion through a surreal season of lockdown and bitter disappointment. It is to those fans that Tottenham Hotspur will always belong. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Uh, Norman, thank you so much for your time. I urge everyone, uh, there's very few books that go into this detail and and span 70 years. I know there's been certain books that look at certain eras, certain managers, certain players, but to have someone who's written professionally on, on a club that he's loved since the age of 10 puts this book uh, beyond any other book I've, 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 I've read on Tottenham. My 70 Years of Spurs, A Long Walk Down, White Hart Lane, Pitch Publishing, available now, all good bookshops. And as I said, 
some profits go to the Tottenham Tribute Trust. So even if you think you know everything about Tottenham Hotspur, it's still worth getting because by buying it, you're going to help some of the legends that we probably discussed uh, today. Norman, thank Come you so you much spurs. for your time. Thank you so much, Norman. Thank you so much for your time. This is a Playback Media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at spurshow.net. Sports Social Podcast Network.